0: Everyone, welcome to another episode of Please Ask Mickey, a podcast that is f- all about just talking about the real shit about being a woman, being a mum, being a whatever. You don't have to be any of those things. I don't care if you've got sausage between your legs or you don't have a sausage between your legs or your lizard mum, cat mum, whatever you are, more than welcome to listen. But it's all just about talking about the real shit that no one else is talking about. Speaking of real shit. Today, we are talking about sex, baby. Um, well, not sex and babies, maybe sex and babies. But anyway, I'll stop um, being my own handbrake and I will introduce today's guest, Nadia Bocchety, who is a sex positive journalist, um, a mental health advocate, and she's just badass bitch like I feel like that's how I would like to describe her she just has no concept of TMI which is amazing because obviously everyone who knows me knows that I also have no concept of TMI um so I'm just going to stop uh talking and just introduce Nadia hello
1: hi uh, that was an awesome introduction <laughs> <laughs> it was so word vomiting I'm very fl- I'm very flattered i Badass is I'm um, you know, that's
0: good adjectives to have before your name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, welcome. It's, I'm so we've been trying to hook this up well, hook us up. Hook this up for like way too long now. So we I'm have. so glad we it's have. happening.
1: Yes, yeah, ditto, absolutely Because I think we are uh, very much like-minded souls in the fact that, you know, we just have a lack of shame It's not even about confidence for me, it's just I have a total lack of shame, really (laughs) Um, And I feel like you're similar And um, for that reason, you know, we're able to talk about stuff that other people, you know, makes them blush
0: Absolutely, like no level of embarrassment There's no sort of like line where I'm like, I'm embarrassed now (laughs) <laughs> like, yes, yeah. keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's me too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so the reason I have you on here is because, as I said, you're a sex-positive journalist. Your whole um, – for anyone that f- follows you on Instagram, and if you don't, you should – Um, I know like for me and a lot of women out there, we just, we just don't have a good relationship with sex. Like that's just sort of the bottom line. We think it's almost like this really shameful, um, thing and like no one really talks about it and we just sort of like, you know, do what we're told in the bedroom or whatever it is. So tell us, how did you, how did you get into this? Where did your passion come from? What was your like aha moment?
1: Yeah, I I think, I think my aha moment was exactly what you just described was like coming to that realization that I was, you know, like most women, how you described, just completely disconnected from my sexuality because, you know, in school, we're basically taught that sex is like something that we give as women, we give to a man Mm. and, um, you know, we don't learn about sexual pleasure at all. You know, girls Mm. in school, we pretty much learn about periods and unwanted pregnancy and boys learn about, you know, boners and wet dreams. Like they at least learn a little bit more about the pleasurable aspects. So, you know, I just, Did I guess what a lot of women do? I, you know, I was in my early 20s. I fell madly in love. I got married and I just sort of expected it to all fall together and it didn't. It was a complete disaster. No fault fault of my um, amazing ex husband. He was brilliant, but I just did not have the emotional maturity to be in a marriage. I just sort of gotten into it because I thought that was what you do. And so when Mm. the marriage fell apart, Mm. I felt like I had to basically like work out who I was because I defined myself as a wife and as someone's you know significant other and it was through the process of having casual sex as a a newly single woman because I you know the whole tinder scene and that hadn't really been around when I first met my husband in my early 20s so that was kind of like a very fun new discovery for me and I, I went a bit crazy with it I had you know what I call my ho phase, and um,
0: we all you have know, a ho phase.
1: <laughs> went through quite a lot of D, and I—I um, <laughs> yeah, I am a writer. I'm a columnist, um, you know, first and foremost. And so, one thing I've always, you know, really sort of prided myself on in my writing is the fact that I keep it super real and I write about things that are actually happening to me and I don't gloss over things so you know I started writing about my casual sexual experiences and the response that I got was just phenomenal and I realized that there was a real need for someone to talk about sex in that way like it's not like you can't find content about sex for women online if you you know look for sex advice there's tons and tons of it out there but the problem is it's so intimidating, it's so clinical, it's so detached. It's usually from, you know, like an older woman who's in like a a doctor's kind of or formal kind of outfit and she's just not relatable. And I realised that we we didn't have anything Mm -hmm. as women in the realm of sex like we do in the realm of beauty. You know, with beauty, we go online and I won't so much as buy a lipstick without watching a YouTube video to check out what, you know, all the beauty vloggers are wearing and what they recommend. And most of those girls don't have any formal training in makeup Most of them, the reason that they're so popular on YouTube is because they're just normal, relatable girls and we can literally envision ourselves like going for a coffee or a cocktail with them. And so if they trust a certain lipstick, then we all run out and buy it. But there really wasn't anything like that in the realm of sex. There was only this real sort of clinical information Or worse still, there was all those Cosmo style articles telling you, you know, why you're not having enough sex or why you're not giving good enough blowjobs or, you know, (laughs) what's wrong with you if you're not having an orgasm, which all stuff that just kind of made you feel less than and a bit shitty. And the website that I run, SheSaid.com, is very much about doing away with all of that gloss and just telling it like it is, no matter what we're talking about and keeping it real so Um, I think people in general found it refreshing that I was talking about, you know, some of my more clumsy casual sexual encounters about a guy asking me to do anal the first time we slept together and me not really knowing how to respond, you know, about accidentally farting in bed in front of someone (laughs) uh, or or about, you know, not being lubricated enough and it, it being kind of awkward and or about a guy jackhammering me and not knowing, you know, do I say something or do I just lay here like I think there needs to be more of that out there for women. And so, yeah, I just kind of got on a roll with writing about it. And um, it just really grew from there. And I realized actually that in doing that, I kind of as cheesy and sort of wanky as it sounds, I discovered myself, I really came into Mm -hmm. my own through that kind of Mm -hmm. journey of sexual empowerment, of realizing that sex wasn't just something that, I gave away to a man or to a partner or a husband. It could be something that I did for myself and I could actually start asking guys for what I wanted in bed and seeking out sex just for the sheer, you know, purpose of having, you know, pleasure and, and nothing else. So, um, yeah, it, it all really grew from there. I mean it's it's a very (laughs) long winded story because it's sort of you know, it evolved over quite a long time. But I just as soon as I sort of started, you know, talking about it and writing about it, I just knew like I'm just I have so much, you know, passion for this and I just want every woman to be able to feel the way that I have been able to feel through this journey in just feeling so much more empowered in my sexuality, in my body and just in my identity as a woman.
0: Oh my god! I just feel like being like yes, girl, like just and like from everyone <laughs> in the back as well, like fucking yes. That's like I was getting goosebumps when you were talking because it's so just even when you were talking about um like how just how empowering it is just to like ask for what you want in the bedroom or stuff like that because I mean as like as you were saying we grow up as women like we're told that sex is essentially like. You know, I'd always just think about that line in mean girls where he's like handing out condoms, and he's like, "Don't have sex, don't have sex lying down. Don't have sex standing up. like just don't have sex, grab some condoms or whatever." And it's sort of like this scary thing. And I know as my for myself and like most women, when we have sex for the the first time, like we in our heads, we think that sex is all about pleasing the man, and totally. it's all about oh like, I didn't have my first orgasm until my partner now because I was always just like, you know, it's not about me. Like, I just want to do whatever I can do for the man. Like, I don't know really what I'm doing, but if I just follow instructions and I just like, if he says that feels good, then that's great. I'll keep doing that or whatever. Like, I just want to be, it's like sex is so romanticised, especially yeah, as women. I, I think it's also a catch-22 because
1: you've sort of got the two types of guys. You've got the, the guys, you know, that we typically call the boys or the womanisers or the players or whatever you want to call them and they're really just in it for themselves. They're in it to just basically use you as, uh, you know, one step above using their hand to jack off yeah. and they don't really <laughs> care belt. about your orgasm anyway and so you, uh, more often than not you don't really have a good time with them unless you really sort of take control. But then the flip side is you can be with an amazing partner. You know, my boyfriend used to say to me, oh, I just, I just want you to come. It's all about you. I want you to orgasm. But because I love and care about him so much, that actually would put a lot of pressure on me. And I think, oh, I need to deliver this orgasm for him now because yes. he's, he's trying so hard <laughs> to give me this orgasm because... He loves about me and cares, you know. Loves me and cares about me so much. So, um, you know, there's the flip side too. And I've got girlfriends that are in really loving, beautiful, you know, marriages, and they they've experienced similar things where their partners are saying like, oh, "I just want you to orgasm. It's all about you." And it's almost like the second that the orgasm is even mentioned, all chance of an orgasm ever being had is off the table.
0: Yes, it's like I, God.
1: I, I love the <laughs> I love the the metaphor that. Um, comedian Amy Schumer uses when she's talking about what it takes for a woman to orgasm she says it's like we need the focus of an Olympic gymnast on a balance beam you know is the lighting right is the air temperature right are you looking at me right wait did you change your eye contact did you move your hand now it's all over we're back to square one you know and it's like that it's like it's it's getting really good it's getting really good oh damn it why did you move your hand And (laughs) why did you stop
0: what you were doing yeah
1: yeah, so it's it's very much uh, sexual pleasure and orgasm is very much in the mind for women and so we're kind of you know screwed if we damned if we do damned if we don't because we can be with a shitty guy that doesn't care about our orgasm and we're not going to have a good time but the flip side is if we're ever with a guy who really cares about our orgasm that can also put a really lot of pressure on us because like you were saying we want to deliver we want to it's, it's like a thing that we want to give to the guy. It's like a service. Mm. It's like something nice that we want to do for our boyfriend or our husband and say, here, I want to show you that you gave me that orgasm. You know, and that's, that's how fake orgasms are born a lot of the time.
0: And I find like, and I feel especially because it's so, it seems anyway, so easy for the guy. Like, jizzing is just like literally stepping out of bed for them. Like, it's like nothing. Like, they've been doing it since they were like 12 years old or whatever you know like it's just it's like they don't even have to think about it it's just so easy so like when you're trying you're like okay it should be that easy right it should be as easy as as he is making it seem but well
1: what's really interesting what I've learned I'm not obviously I'm not a sexologist I'm not you know clinically trained in sexology or anything like that but Obviously, writing about sex for years and years, I've done tons and tons of research and I've learned a lot of really eye-opening things. And one of the things that has probably been the most eye-opening is actually just how similar men and women are in a lot of ways when it comes to sex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes guys can be really in their head and they can, you know, struggle to to get it going as well. Um, but I think the difference is is that women where because we've been conditioned to um, you know self-sacrifice and to be people pleasers mm-hmm. there's a much more intense pressure that is on women to perform and so men don't often have that um, experience of having performative sex where they're actually you know kind of almost putting on a show to make sure that their partners happy whereas pretty much you'd be hard pressed finding a woman who wouldn't tell you that she's if she hasn't faked an orgasm then she's at least acted like she was having a better time than she was really having in bed because she didn't want to hurt the other person's feelings or whatever so I think that is probably the key difference you know yeah. we, we do put a lot of pressure on men as well to always be up for sex and that that was a real learning experience for me when I you know after I went through my whole phase and i I ended up you know, getting into a relationship and I have a boyfriend now and I'm you know, in a very you know, happy monogamous relationship again. But ironically, I'm the one with the highest sex drive now and I'm the one you know, trying to you know, be like, come on, can't we do it tonight? Because he's younger than me, so he's just starting out his career. So whereas I'm a bit more settled in my career, he's working 12 to 16-hour crazy days and he's coming home with huge amounts of stress. And because he does love and care about me and he's not just a fuck boy, he doesn't want to just do a wham, bam, thank you, man. He wants yeah. to give me, you know, his energy. So sometimes he's just mm-hmm. like, I'm sorry, I just can't do it tonight. So I think, you know, men men do go through some of the same sort of things, but I mm. think the really key difference is that that social conditioning that women have just from the time pretty much that we've been able to speak and hear that we've been told that, you know, we are there to please and serve others right down to the level of our own bodies so that we don't feel that our bodies belong to us.
0: Yes, so much. Actually, I had a bit of a, as I was walking over to this this studio, there's, um because uh, it's in the city and there's uh, backpackers. And I saw this, um, this girl and guy walking together from the backpackers. Now, obviously, I don't know, not from here, but she was, um, she was wearing like shorts that basically like her bum was hanging out. She looked amazing and like this tiny little top. And I didn't really think anything of it. I just saw her and was like, yes, girl, like you look great. And then next to her, this guy was not wearing a T-shirt either. And in my head, I looked at her and I could see, like, it's the city. There's weird, creepy people. I could see people looking at her and judging her or whatever. And I was like, isn't it so crazy that that, that's the kind of, you know, girl wearing an outfit similar like like that where a lot of people would be looking at her going, oh, she's asking for it. Or look at her, the slut, like, you know, with her ass hanging out, whatever. Meanwhile, (laughs) the guy standing right next to her is topless and no one would have even thought a single thing, you know, it's like guys can wear DTs or they can have their top off all the time and and it's like, it's not a sexual thing. It's just guys being guys or whatever. But the minute a girl wears just even a little bit less clothing or whatever, because we're just so sexualized, we're so here just for like pleasuring or I don't know, like it just really made me think about how, like how fucked up the dynamic is and... Yeah, and
1: I think that's that's pretty much the crux of, you know, the free the nipple movement and where that's come from. It's not necessarily a bunch of women saying, you know, we really want to just walk around with our tits out for, you know, I, I don't personally have a desire to walk around with my nipples out, but I support the free the nipple movement because mm. the crux of it is, is that, you know, we have this double standard around yeah. bodies and men have actually mammary glands just the same as women. Um, and really, you know, some men's chests don't really look that different from maybe a slightly flat chested woman anyway. So, <laughs> um, you know, and the thing is is that it wasn't always in history that men were able to be sh- shirtless. There was, you know, there was a time in history where, the, you know, men were protesting to be able to, you know, walk around with no shirts on Um so we just haven't afforded that same privilege to women. Um, and like you say, we, we sexualize women's bodies and we, we sexualize, you know, I'm not a mother and I I really, my heart goes out to all my girlfriends that are raising daughters now because um, it's a really difficult time because everything is so sexualized for, for young girls growing up that I think it is difficult for them to develop a sense of body autonomy. And, you know, a lot of, you know, 12 and 13-year-old girls are going on social media and, and, and posting, you know, sexualized pictures in their mm. underwear or their bikinis or whatever without that emotional intelligence or understanding of, of what that that really means. And it's, it's basically, you know, as they're collecting likes and whatnot, it's reinforcing basically for them that whole um, ideology that you're looks are your currency as a woman. Yeah. So um, you know, and I, I think it's very hard being a mum to protect girls from that because you you know, you can put all the control controls and whatever you want to put, parental controls on your T V and your internet, but I mean, a, a young girl's only got to walk down the street or look at an ad. I mean, every you can't even watch an ad for McDonald's that isn't sexualized, like someone's eating a, a burger like they're having an orgasm over it. Or, <laughs> or, you know, an ad for a gym looks like someone's, you know, in the middle of a, you know, some sort of sexual act. There's not yeah, Everything's important. been just so incredibly sexualized now. Yeah. Um, I think it is very confusing for young girls. And, of course, the irony of that is while we live in, Quite easily, I would argue, the most hyper sexual society we have ever lived in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We are insanely, insanely disconnected from our sexuality and our bodies. So everything is sexualized, everything is about sex, but we're not allowed to talk about sex and we're not allowed to feel sexual. So it's just the ultimate, uh, you know, contradiction. And it's just such a confusing time to be you know, developing as a young woman and and coming to terms with your body and your sexuality.
0: Yeah, and it's like, and and I was just thinking as well, especially like, um, as you said, raising young girls and you want them to, like you want to raise them to be really sexually confident and to um, not feel shame and all those sorts of things. But yeah, as you said, like how do you teach them sort of, how uh, like where the the line is, you know, like between, as you said, like posting a sexual photo on Instagram or whatever, or or just owning their sexual prowess. It's like, it's a really sort of it's a bit of a tr- like a tricky sort of area to be in.
1: It is, and I think that's why we need to empower young women with more information and education mm. around sex because. Otherwise, they are going to turn to social media or and probably most largely pornography to get that information. And while I'm uh, very sex positive, I'm obviously you know, pro-porn. I, I watch porn myself and I, I talk about it quite a lot in my columns and whatnot. You know, I don't support young um, girls um, using porn as their first reference point for learning about sex um because as an as adults we can we can watch porn and we understand we have the emotional intelligence to understand that that's a fantasy that's a movie <laughs> you know it's the way that i that's always compare real. it when i talk about this is I don't watch the notebook and then by the time I'm finished watching it expect that my boyfriend or any man for that matter is going to be like Ryan Gosling. You know, <laughs> no man exists that is like Ryan Gosling in that movie. You know, but we, we, we can accept that, we suspend our disbelief. Just by that same token, we can we also can accept that women don't have a screaming orgasm the second a penis is inserted into them. Um, <laughs> and, you know, those sorts of things. But as a young woman, when you're still learning about what sex even means and you're still developing, um, that can be incredibly confusing and that can just confuse things further. So while I'm not necessarily against young people accessing porn, I don't think it should be their first point of reference. And I think the more that parents and, you know, ideally, hopefully one day the school system can, you know, empower kids with more information and knowledge around their bodies, um, the less likely they are to go and, you know, the less likely you are to have to worry about them you know, finding out what it all means by posting sexual pictures on social media or whatnot, because they're going to understand a lot more about, you know, body autonomy and and what that really means.
0: Yeah, that's so true what you're talking about, like even with the the porn for the younger, like especially for young boys. Like I just thought about if like there's young boys that are growing up watching porn, which they do, that's like – that's what's in their head. They, that's what they think that sex is. And, like, no wonder, you know, we feel like as women it's all about pleasuring the guy and all that kind of stuff. Because most most porn movies, especially, like, growing up and the things that guys watch, they're just watching some girl, like, you know, suck their dick or whatever it is. And they think that that's what sex is as well. It's also about the woman just giving and giving and giving and giving
1: yeah and i and I think that's where it starts to get you know dangerous and that's that's where you know there are so many situations now, so you know i' I think as I talk so openly about sex, a lot of people although I'm not a sexologist or a therapist or anything like that, a lot of people feel comfortable opening up to me and so I do have a lot of people email and message me and and whatnot and tell me you know about their sexual experiences and so often I hear from particularly young women that they're just having this really rough sex as their first experience of sex. And like oh. I say, I'm sex positive and I, I certainly don't kink, shame, you know, whatever it is that floats your boat, provided you're both, you know, into it, that's that's great and there's consent. But when you're a young girl and you're, you're still even learning like what, what is pleasure supposed to feel like for my body... Um, and your first experiences of sex are with, you know, a boy trying to, you know, strangle you and you do erotic asphyxiation and things that he's seen on porn, you know, that's concerning to me. And I don't think that should be young people's first reference point for sex. And unfortunately, it's, it's really upsetting to me because I, I I wrote about this last year about why I think masturbation specifically for young women should be included in sex ed and I never I never suggested at any point that I, a porn star should come into a classroom and perform masturbation. I just said, you know, we need to acknowledge it, we need to talk about it, we need to mm. talk the same as they do. The French school system does a great job of it. They mm. actually show what the clitoris looks like. They have a 3D model of it and they, they explain, you know, how the clitoris is designed to give women pleasure and,
0: oh, wow. you know, girls
1: girls actually walk away with that understanding. Um, But when I wrote about this last year and eventually it ended up um, with me doing a segment on UK Morning TV and just being absolutely obliterated on Twitter for it with people calling me a paedophile and telling me, you know, uh, someone should run me over with their car and saying all sorts of awful things. You know, we want to keep our children away from you. You're trying to steal children's innocence. And I get where it's coming from because I think... Look, I'm not a parent and I would never presume to ever understand, you know, what a parent goes through. That's an experience that I can't relate to. But I, from an outside perspective, I can understand the idea of wanting to maintain your child's sense of innocence. I don't really see a problem with that. But the problem is, is when it's getting into such incredible depths of denial and Mm. this is the thing I and and I've spoken about this too I used to be a high school teacher before I was a journalist so I've walked around the school and I've heard what 13 and 14 year old girls and boys are talking about and the reality as much as you know I don't really like it myself either but the reality is is that 13 and Mm -hmm. 14 year old girls are having sex they're absolutely doing it um Not all of them, but very high numbers of them. In fact, the majority of 13 and 14-year-old girls that are having partnered sex have never masturbated. They've never touched their own bodies. They're letting another person into their bodies before they're even touching their own bodies because we create so much shame around the body. So meanwhile, I'm getting called a paedophile. But the thing is, if you have a choice between your 13-year-old daughter having partnered sex or touching her own body... Uh, as her first learning experiences about sex you know I know what I'd prefer I <laughs> was alone with her own body for a while before you know she you know had time to mature and understand the emotional ramifications of sex all the other things that go with it the complexity of consent consent isn't just a yes it's got to be an enthusiastic ongoing thing you know, you you don't have to keep going just because you took your clothes off and now you've changed your mind. You're allowed to change your mind. All of those things, girls aren't equipped with that knowledge when they're starting to have sex. And I ha- I heard of like, and pretty much a great example of this. I had a, a girl contact me um, and she was 17 and she said that her, um, her dad had gone into her room and he had found her vibrator. And instead of, just discreetly putting it back and pretending like he'd never been there, he unfortunately embarrassingly confronted her about it and said that, you know, he was very upset and, you know, she was too young to be having a vibrator, so he confiscated it from her. And she was contacting me to ask, you know, am I a pervert because I've been using this vibrator? Like, am I too young? And I was like, well, your dad... I can, I, I can see what your dad's trying to do. Like, he's trying to protect you. Like, I, I really can see that. But unfortunately, what was happening was you were exploring your body in a totally private, safe environment with no pressure in your own time. It was your own secret thing. Now, your only way of exploring that is going to be with probably boys, with yeah. other people. So in trying to protect you, your dad is basically, uh, you know, almost made things worse
0: Done the opposite, and, and I think yeah. this
1: is the, the problem is that I'm not saying to parents and I think this is how my message got so confused last year when I did that TV segment is I'm not saying to parents oh you know get your kids watching porn and get them all masturbating and having sex what I'm saying is the research proves without a doubt that children are having sex at a younger age than ever ever before Do we like it? No, I don't like it either. I think I personally think that 13 and 14 is way too young to be having sex.
0: But the reality
1: is a very large portion of children are. So what are some things we can do to arm them? Well, maybe if they knew about masturbation, it could be a potential alternative to even having partnered sex. But at the very least, even if it's not going to deter them from having partnered sex, at the very least, girls can learn what feels good and what doesn't feel good. So when they're having a boy having sex with them, they can feel empowered to say, actually, that doesn't feel nice. And I know now that, mm. that that's not what sexual pleasure feels like. If you don't know what sexual pleasure feels like, how are you supposed to, as a young girl, you know, communicate with, with a boy about that? You, you know, the, the research shows, there was a very interesting study that found that 30% of young women are in pain when they're having sex. Yeah. They're in actual physical pain. Right. Because we we do not want to teach them about what pleasure feels like and about masturbation because that, that makes us feel embarrassed and that makes us feel dirty and we want to maintain our children's innocence. And so in digging our heads in the sand, we're actually doing a lot more harm. And, you know, girls are going through experiences which are potentially... Going to be traumatic for them looking back on those experiences years later and realizing that that wasn't healthy, you know, happy sex.
0: Yeah, like us now, looking like I know for me anyway, yeah, looking back on all of my first experiences and exactly what you said, like never having masturbated and just let a guy straight in. And so you don't, you don't know what it's supposed to feel like. You don't know what good feels like. Do you think that, I guess, like, by learning to, I, I guess for us, like as parents or as, uh, you know, now coming into the older generation, <laughs> we're going to be an older generation, um, learning to, I guess, communicate with our kids and, and be able to have that conversation and it not be such a taboo thing. It's like, you know, if you're a super crazy, strict parent that never lets your kid, try alcohol or anything like that, like the chances of them going the opposite way and going against what you say is like pretty, like kids are just going to go on their own journey and they're going to do what they're going to do anyway. Absolutely. But if you can actually like create some trust and be able to be someone that's there to like talk to about it and you can, you know, discuss what it feels like to have empowering sex and like what sex actually is is about and you know because I think that like for so many people that that's the problem like sex isn't about sex anymore it's not about connection it's not about anything like that it's just about like getting in getting it done or like making sure the other person's fine or just doing it for the sake of doing it and getting out and that's it
1: yeah very much so I mean I would say sex is very end goal focused nowadays and a lot of the stuff that I you know, speak about and write about when I'm giving people advice is to just slow the hell down and stop making it all about penis in vagina getting straight to an orgasm. Sex is supposed to be passionate. It's supposed to be about connecting with someone. You know, even if that person is a casual sexual partner, it can still be incredibly exciting and stimulating and pleasurable to connect with another person and where we're missing out on all of that by just racing to you know we, we just have to get the penis in there and quickly try to have an orgasm um yeah. because yeah we were very end goal focused so i mean it's hard because it's a very loaded topic to speak to your kids about and at the end of the day I mean, I can't really say that there would have ever been a time where I would have not felt incredibly embarrassed and uncomfortable (laughs) if my mum had sat me down and started telling me about sexual pleasure. I, I think you know it's more about creating an environment where you're not making rules around your, you know, particularly your daughter's bodies and how they can dress and things that are a double standard compared to, you know, how your sons can dress and things Mm. they can do with their bodies. Um, And that you're creating a safe environment where your kids feel that they can come and talk to you about these issues and they're not... Because the reason kids don't speak to their parents about a lot of these issues, apart from maybe a bit of embarrassment, a lot of the time is because they're, they're fearing, you know trouble getting getting into trouble trouble. yeah so if they know you know if I tell my you know mum that I've started having sex she's only going to be there to give me advice she's not going to punish me then you're more likely that your child's going to actually admit that to you and you're going to be in a place where you can equip them as much as you would prefer for them to just not be having sex at all at least you can equip them to be having consensual sex safe sex you know all Mm -hmm. of those things you know STD rates are through the roof are among teenagers and you know we we do teach safe sex at school but it's so clinical and it's so removed from you know any of the sort of real human aspects of sex that you know it's sort of lost on kids so I think the best thing you can do is just create like a really open environment for your kids and and maybe even get them to you know watch a couple of really sex positive shows where you know it does model, you know, healthy sexual behavior and I mean this is going to be very controversial and maybe a lot of people won't agree with it but you know give your teenage daughters vibrators um yeah. and just give it to them in a really nonchalant way so they know it's not a big deal, you know, we don't need to sit down and have a formal discussion about it. It's just maybe it's just left on the bed one day or whatever and you don't even have to have a discussion about it but It's just your way of communicating to them that I'm okay with you being, you know, sexual. I know that it's going to happen one day and I know that I can't prevent it. So I would prefer that you do it in a way that is healthy and enjoyable for you. And actually allowing your child, particularly girls, because, you know, girls don't learn about pleasure as much as boys, to understand what pleasure feels like will protect them tremendously because it means that when they're having partnered sex, they are going to be able to say, actually, no, can you stop? This is not feeling good, Mm. rather than simply laying there and and feeling like, well, this must be what sex is, so I better just lay here and say nothing and let this person do what they've got to do. Yeah,
0: totally. I love that idea. And I guess, like, so much of it um, comes back to just even teaching children self-worth like i know that's a huge thing like growing up as a as a young girl like most girls just have such a lack of self-worth that they they <laughs> like sex is their worth you know like that's how they they feel like they're they're giving something or like and because we don't talk to children about it and because they just continue you know, having worthless sex and giving themselves up because they think that that's how they make a man happy or whatever it is and, like, really teaching them to be empowered and then, yeah, like, by giving them a vibrator or something like that, then they can just discover themselves with themselves and realise that there's real beauty to sexual power and, like, there's, you know, there's something so incredible about feeling empowered, even, like, at the beginning of this whole podcast when you were just talking about how you found this empowerment within yourself and, like, you could just feel um, just how – I'm just going to say power again, power – how powerful that was. And, like, and it goes from just being about sex to being about you as a person. Like, just feeling like you you have the power to say no and you have the power to have control over your own body and have control over your own um, – pleasure and feelings and everything else like that's just going to make you a better person across the board
1: yeah and, and you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there because we you know we talk so much about equality and you know gender equality um and I actually think that the real gender equality starts in the bedroom because when we're giving up our body, that's our most, you know, we're we're in our most vulnerable state when we're having sex. Mm. That goes, that Mm. spills over into every other aspect of our lives. If we're happy to, or if we think it's okay to lay there while our husband does what he needs to do because that's what we do for our husband, then what are we doing when we're going into the office and a man is speaking over us? In a mm-hmm. meeting, um, you know, what are we doing when um, someone is asking, you know, our husband a question, which you know we could have answered perfectly well, but they're treating us like we're you know less than because we're a woman. There's so many other situations that trickles down into, and and that I think is the real meaning of sexual empowerment. And that was what really clicked for me was. At first, my little hoe phase when I uh, split from my husband, it it was purely just about sex. But it became something so much more because as I learned that my body was my own and it belonged to me and no one else. And I could use it to have tons of sex if I wanted to with tons of different guys. Or I could just, you know, not have sex when I didn't want to have sex. Or I could have sex with someone and tell them to stop because I wasn't enjoying it or I could ask them what I wanted that trickled into every other area of my life. And I actually became, you know, and, and friends were commenting on it. They're like, you've really come into your own. You, you are so much more confident now you're so much more outspoken. And I was confident for the first time in my life to speak up in a meeting, you know, if someone interrupted me or, you know, to, to demand the, the salary that I thought I was worth at work. Um, There were just so many other areas that that sense of empowerment trickled into. And, you know, we think sex is just something which is hidden away in the bedroom. But the dynamics that we have in the bedroom, Mm. they affect, we don't realize this, but they really affect every other aspect of our life. So if we can teach young girls, you know, what a gift to give them that your body is your own. Mm. then that is going to impact everything else in their life any situation they're in where they don't feel comfortable that they can know that I'm allowed to say something here this is you know I have my voice matters too it's not all about the other person and I, I think that's you know the most you know powerful gift that we could give a young girl but often when I talk about it because it's sex, you know, it, it gets turned into something else and people say, well, you know, you're you're perverted and you, you want to steal children's innocence and it's, you know,
0: <laughs> that's not the case at all. It's so funny that people say that and yet, like, you just all you have to do is turn on the radio and <laughs> like listen to some of the rankest lyrics and songs and shit getting around and, like, as exactly. if that's not stealing children's innocence. Yeah. Your your kids are already exposed to sex, no matter
1: how much you've tried to protect them. I oh, yeah. love you for trying to protect them. I think it's great. But unfortunately, the reality is they're already exposed mm-hmm. and they're, they're probably already starting to do things that they think will make them earn, you know, particularly young girls, respect, you know, in the eyes of, of boys or, or attention or validation or whatever it is. Um and Peggy Orenstein, who's a, um, she's an academic in the area of, of sex research, and she, she did a, a really, um, really good TED talk, which I would recommend um, every parent watch, and it, it was called Young Women's Sexual Pleasure. And she talks about how she interviewed uh, young college-age girls about their sexual experiences and that they were talking about blowjobs like they were a handshake. They were saying they wouldn't kiss a guy because that to them was too intimate and they wanted to save that for when they knew that it was really going somewhere, but they would happily give them a blowjob
0: because
1: that was just seen as such a simple exchange. And so it's about educating girls to understand what that means. And there's nothing wrong with just having sex for the sake of having sex if that's what you want to do and if you you just do want to, you know, give someone a blowjob or power too. But I think it's the fact that we we don't arm them with the knowledge of what that actually means.
0: Yeah. And um, like whether they do want to do that. You know, exactly. like I think that's such a huge thing. I know when I went through like my um my hoe phase, it was definitely not an enjoyable thing. Like I was, wasn't doing it because I felt good. I was doing it because I felt shitty, which I feel like a lot of girls and probably men as well do, you know, they're like, it is more of an exchange and it's more of like, well, I get a little bit of, um, someone making me feel good or making me feel sexy or making me feel loved or whatever it is. Absolutely. But
1: then the, I guess the other sort of piece of that puzzle and, you know, as we're going into the the Me Too era, you know, people are really starting to recognize this and talk about it is we are getting ourselves into situations and and I definitely did the same as well when I was having casual sex of seeking out sex just for validation or Mm. to feel good or whatever it was. And then, you know, getting halfway in and realizing, this isn't going to give me that feeling that I came here for. Actually, this is probably going to make me feel more shit. Yeah. And not having the power at the time to be able to say no. to the other person, no, we're going to have to stop now. I don't want to do this.
0: Yeah, You know, that,
1: that that's so much of what the Me Too era is about, is about the fact that, you know, Amber Rose, who does the, the organises the Slut Walk over in America, she talks about you know a guy can have his dick inside me, but if I say stop, he has to stop. He has to pull out. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're halfway through sex. At any time, you should be able to stop. Um, and there was a, I, I think it was in the New Yorker. It was a an article that went crazy viral called Cat Person, and it's it's very just a very normal story but the thing that made it go so viral is how relatable the sexual experience in the story is and the girl talks about how she's you know having this hook up with this guy she's kind of into him she's kind of not it's something to do whatever they start having sex and halfway through she realizes she's not into it Mm -hmm. she doesn't like this guy she's not feeling the vibe but she you know you hear her mental internal monologue of her saying well I'm here now, I've taken my clothes off, I'll just, you know, get this over and done with, I'll just let him finish. Mm. And that, that that hit home with so many people, because women in particular, because that's what we do, you know, we, we go and have sex because, you know, we think it's going to fulfill some need or something. And then when it doesn't, and we want to stop, we think, well, no, no, I'm here now, I, I can't just leave, you know, that would be bad, that would be leading a guy on, you know, yeah. I've already gotten this far. Yeah. So, you know, we need to also teach young women that actually, no, you can stop at any time. You know, it's like the, there was a, I'm sure you've seen it, was going around on YouTube for a long time, the consent video where they used a cup of tea as a metaphor for consent. Did you yeah. see that one? Yes, yeah. And it's like with a cup of tea, if someone drinks half the cup of tea while they're at your house and then they say, oh, sorry, I don't want any more tea, you're not going to jump up from your seat on the couch, grab that half cup of tea, open the person's mouth and pour it down there, are you? You're just no. going to go put the tea in the sink. And you're probably not going to think anything sort of of it except to think, well, that person probably decided half a cup was enough for them. Like, and it's the same thing with sex, but we, we, we overcomplicate it and we, we make it into something that it doesn't need to be.
0: Yeah, that's so right. And it's like, and it's not even something that most people discuss or like, you know, we've probably, most women have been in that situation probably numerous times. But how often do you talk to your friend about, oh yeah, I was having sex with this guy and I decided halfway through, I didn't want to do it. And so, but I kind of felt like I just had to, like we don't, no one talks about that. No one says that. That's not like a conversation that people really have. It's no. just sort of like this unsaid thing that you just do it whether you like it or not and you just move on and then you just, you know, you don't discuss it. It's not discussed.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's, that's where ignorance um, is really a- allowed to breed in the mm-hmm. silence. And so if we want these issues to change... We need to talk about them. We need to yell about them. We need to just make them a regular part of everyday conversation. So I think, you know, as a parent, if you make sex just a normal part of conversation in your house, it's not an off-limits topic, you're already setting, you know, a good, healthy environment for your child. And I think, you know, in all the work I do, that's why I talk, you know, people say, don't you get sick of talking about sex? No, I don't because... You know, there's so much to it. It's such an interesting topic. And mm. I, I think it does have such huge ramifications that go well beyond just the be- what happens in the bedroom. And because the more women there are, they're actually talking about it and normalizing it, the less ignorance is going to be allowed to breed. And the more women will actually be able to start talking about their experiences and then realizing that, Oh, I actually had that experience where I didn't enjoy it, and I, I, I never, you know, asked the other person if they could just stop, you know, because I felt that it was somehow my obligation to to see it through.
0: Hmm. Yes. Yeah, so it's I literally just had a thought just then, like it's so crazy how sex is just such a hush hush thing, and like no one's allowed to talk about sex, but it's like literally what keeps this world going. It's like one of if not the most important thing to humankind to continue us as a species is sex. Like it's everything. <laughs> Yet we're yeah, we're not, it's, it's not discussed or we're not allowed to talk about it openly. Yeah, I think it is. When you put it like
1: that, you know, it, it is really crazy. And like I say, you know, our society is so, so sexual now. We're more sexualized than we've ever been. I mean, mm-hmm. even. God, you can't even buy a doll anymore. You know, the Bratz dolls and whatnot, they're all so sexualized now. Yeah. And yet we're not allowed to talk about it when we're just confronted with it 24 hours a day. So it's just true. the ultimate contradiction.
0: We should be talking about it more than ever, especially with our children, as you said, who just are not emotionally mature enough to like comprehend what they're seeing every single day. Um, and what's like literally forced in their face, and between that and just the reality of sex, yeah, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Oh, it's so crazy. Um, so, if you could, I just realised the time. <laughs> um, if you could, what is like some of your best advice? Not best advice. Well, your yeah, your best advice. Like, what what is um, some tips that you could give women? Um, and mums who who feel like they don't have control of their sexual power who feel really unempowered in their s- sexual desires and prowess prowess I, I, I yeah I'd say prowess
1: I think <laughs> the, the first thing you can do is to start making pleasure for yourself and the the best thing way to do that and, and one you know way that certainly helped me was going out and buying myself a vibrator like just not just any vibrator but like a really nice really good quality vibrator um, and for those of you that are totally overwhelmed by all the options out there I review a lot of vibrators on my Instagram page so <laughs> that'll hopefully give you know some help in pointing in the right direction but by purchasing a vibrator that's already taking the first step toward prioritizing your sexual pr- pleasure. Yeah. And then sorry, I've a door just slammed in my house. Um it's very, wi- <laughs> with, it's very windy here on I'm right on Sydney Harbour so there's like we've got this huge gust of wind blowing over the water at the moment. Yeah, right. We must have very, blown very it very down dramatic, to you.
0: punctuating the end of the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Just slamming um, door. <laughs>
1: yeah but i think that's step one to just allowing yourself even to to recognize that pleasure can be something that you do for yourself um and then when you get the vibrator that you can actually take time to learn what your body can do because i think I mean, women are getting into their, you know, 40s and older without really knowing what their body can do for them. Like, they've Mm. never really taken the time to just stop and work that out. So, I think if you make time for yourself where you're, you know, at home, on your own, you take some some me time. We always talk, talk about taking me time and how women need to do it. You need to do it. You need to prioritize it. And prioritize some me time to put on some porn, you know, pour yourself a glass of wine or whatever and get out your vibrator and just, it's a no pressure environment because no one else is there making Mm. you feel that you have to hurry up and you're taking too long, which is what a lot of women stress about is, oh, I take too long to orgasm and I worry my partner's, you know, getting bored bored or whatever. (laughs) So you don't have to worry about that. If you want to take three hours, you take three hours, whatever you need to do, you need to make time to do it. And then work out what actually feels good for you. And then mm. you can take that knowledge into the bedroom. You can take that knowledge back to your partner or the next you know, person that you have sex with, whatever your situation is. And you can be empowered with that newfound knowledge to say, actually, I really like to be touched here. Actually, I need clitoral stimulation penetration isn't what really does it for me or you know until you've actually taken the time to discover those things for yourself without the pressure of someone else being there then you're you're always going to be vulnerable to feeling that you have to sort of perform for someone Mm. else and I honestly think it's the same for young women too I think That, like I say, it's very controversial and a lot of people won't agree with me and a lot of people will say that I'm an absolute crackpot and a pervert. But I I do actually think that one of the best things a parent can do for their teenage daughter is give them a vibrator. And like I say, it doesn't need to be done in a really embarrassing way. Mm -hmm. It could just be something that's, you know, left in their room one day or whatever. But it's already sending them a message that their body is their own. As a parent, you don't have jurisdiction over their body. Um, boys don't have jurisdiction over their body. It's theirs. It's theirs um, to own. And then they can learn about their pleasure along the way. Yeah.
0: Um, so it's, I think, you yeah. know,
1: it's honestly starts with self-love, as, as cheesy mm-hmm. and wanky as that does sound. You know, they say that thing of like, oh, you need to truly love yourself before you can really love someone else. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that 100%, but I think that definitely applies to sex. Until you have really learned what really gets you off in terms of solo sex and masturbation, I don't believe you can ever truly have really satisfying sex. You need to take time learning about your own body and... You know, for me, that definitely incorporates porn. For some people, if porn doesn't float your boat, you don't obviously have to watch it. But porn can be a great way of discovering, um, you know, what new sort of fetishes or fantasies you might (laughs) be interested in trying because we don't, you know, we don't talk about any of these things. So we don't don't realise that there, you know, there's something that affects us until we've had a chance to experience them. So, you know, it can be a great way of just finding out what you do and and don't like. And by doing it privately and on your own, you're giving yourself permission to own your own sexual, you know, whatever you want to call it, your sexuality or sexual empowerment. And then you're putting together knowledge, which you can take to a partner to have more satisfying sex and then from there it's just about really knowing that you have the right to speak up and you know I think that's important for parents to model, model to their daughters as well that you always have a right to speak up, you always have the power to say no or to say this isn't quite right, you know you always have that right and you know, there are even women that are in in marriages. They've been married for twenty years, and they don't tell their husband, the person they've they've been with half their life. They feel too embarrassed to tell their husband. Actually, I don't like it when you do that. Could you do this instead? Yeah. You know, and they're too embarrassed to tell their own husband. So, it's about knowing that it's okay. You 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 have a right to take power over your own pleasure. It's not something that you just give to someone else.
0: Yeah, and, and yeah, it isn't like that, a I learned think
1: that thing. With, it's, it's a learned thing, yeah. And I, and I think it starts with you on your own. And that's mm. why I would say, you know, starting by masturbating or if, even if you don't have the funds for a vibrator, just starting by just masturbating without a vibrator and just learning what works for you, you know that is really where it begins. I love that.
0: Love. It. I love the idea of um like gifting your daughter a vibrator. I think that's great. And because it is, it's just be like a lot of education on that one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love a bit of controversy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. It's such a great idea. And like, and the thing is, like, people are only afraid of it because they're. In denial, as you said, that's just the huge thing. We don't want to think about our kids having sex, but kids are going to have sex and they're going to be adults and they're going to be adults having sex. They can either be kids that have sex or adults that have sex that like love it and enjoy it and have sex because they want to, or they can be adults and children who are having sex. Um, they have no idea, they don't even know what they're doing, they don't know what feels good, they don't know what feels like they don't know how to say no, none of that. So, it's like just pick your option, <laughs> like, the, either way, they're going to have sex.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think the sooner we can realise that, you know, the better. Yeah,
0: that's exactly right. It's just, it's all part of educating them. Like, you know, teaching them what biologically happens only does so much. That really means fuck all, <laughs> like, especially to a 16-year-old. They don't, like, when they're learning about sex ed, they don't care, like... About the biology of it, they wouldn't. Hell no! Know I, shit. I wasn't even paying attention to that. <laughs> <laughs> Neither. I'm like, I've had. I'm just about to have my second baby, and I still. The other day, I, the uh, midwife was like, "Well, your cervix is looking nice and closed and long." And I'm like, "Long? What do you mean? I didn't know cervix to be long. <laughs> like, what does cervix look like? Is it supposed Fox to be <laughs> Yeah, I was like, "Like, is it short cervix? Like." bad like I don't even know don't know any of that <laughs> just goes to show how little we know about our neighborhood like just anything yeah. down there it's just all about like A- and I, think that's, I think that's
1: another thing actually that you can model for your kids is that it's perfectly normal and okay to say the word vagina. Yes. It's not a lady flower. It's not a hoo-ha. It's not a special place. It's not a secret place. It's a vagina. Yeah. And the more that's normalized, the less shame there is around that area and things that go on down there.
0: Yeah, totally. And, yeah, learning about it, my um, two-year-old daughter, she um, she's a fiddler. She always has been, which is why as well I'm so um, have become extra interested in the subject because Maddie just will sit there with her legs spread, literally trying to like dissect her vagina like a, like a frog in science, just really getting in there. And I'm like, how do you how do you teach a two year old that like yes, that's yours. Do whatever you want with it. Like play around with it, but um, you know maybe like not in front of the kids at Daycare.
1: <laughs> so. Well, I think that's,
0: that's the beauty of it is that kids haven't
1: been conditioned and socialized yet to see anything wrong with that. And for her, no. she is literally just doing what feels good and she's working out what's going on down there. So true. Um, and we, you know, we condition that, that out of them and that's actually, you know, really sad. So... um yeah, I think um, yeah. You, know, you just, I guess um, it's you know something that you just let her know is you know that's totally fine, but just not not while we're having dinner with Nana in the <laughs> restaurant.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we go. That's that's totally fine, darling. You do that, but we just do it in our room. That's all. Like if you want to do it, we do it in our room. She started trying to shove things up there. I'm like, far out. I'm gonna have. I think future me is gonna be in for like bloody rude (laughs) shock. I'm like, oh, God, this is the kid. This is my kid that I've got. So, anyway, that's why I'll give her a vibrator probably when she's 10 at this stage, the rate she's (laughs) going. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for talking to us. This has been so eye-opening and so unreal. And I love that we can actually just discuss this kind of stuff um, without it being weird. (laughs) <laughs> without it like being such a hush-hush thing like and I hope that um in the future and for our children this is like the most normal thing in the world they have conversations with their friends about sex um and they do it in oh, just such an empowering way like that would just be the dream because the reality is sex isn't going away we need it here to stay so like let's make it good like <laughs> let's make it good for everyone not just for the guys absolutely absolutely I'm um, with you on that. Is there any words of wisdom you'd love to leave us on? Any words of wisdom? Mm. Um, I mean, I just asked you for some before and you gave it. <laughs>
1: just go, go forth and have fun. You know, don't, don't, don't put judgment on yourself. Don't, don't put judgment on other women that, you know, own their bodies. Just, um, you know, know that you have a right, you know and we all have a right to feel good and that's you know that's totally normal and okay
0: awesome i love it we all have a right to feel good all right ladies go go get yourself a vibrator and play with it <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much nutty for joining us um enjoy the rest of your day thank you so much oh actually thank sorry you. oh my god i completely forgot um how do we? How do all of the beautiful listeners? How do they find you? <laughs>
1: uh, so I'm on Instagram at Nadia Bocchety. Um You can read any of my work on my website, She and I write regularly for a whole host of websites, Mamma Mia and Huffington Post and. Yeah, like I say, my, my entire life story is
0: pretty much um, on the internet. <laughs> Amazing, beautiful. So it's my two-year-old's daughters, um, and they'll all all of that information will be in the show notes, just for anyone who's driving and freaking out that they can't remember any of that. Um, well, thank you again so much, and yeah, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Mickey. Bye. Bye.
1: Please Ask Mickey is a Hit Network original podcast produced at Hit 105 Studios in Brisbane. Created, hosted and produced by Michaela Burnett. Check out pleaseaskmickey.com. Editorial support from Julia Foskey, executive producers Scott McDonald and Matthew Eggleston. For more great audio stories, check out hit.com.au.